Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is uh, Aaron Loomis. This is my beautiful wife, Alice Loomis, and our uh, soon-to-be, well, I guess she exists already, but uh, baby Mercy coming, coming our way, too, so in a couple weeks. Um, and uh, we serve in the uh, parking lot uh, welcoming ministry. So for those of you that uh, came in this morning, hi again, good to see you. Um, but we're going to be taking a uh, leave of absence. Um, so if anybody has the gift of serving and hospitality, please, yeah, well, we'd love to have you serve with us. So thanks. Um, our scripture reading today is selected verses from Romans 5 and 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, let us stand for the reading of God's word. Romans 5, 12 through 15. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. Uh, to be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, uh, who was a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if, for if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Romans five nineteen through 21. Just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And finally, 1 Corinthians 15, 21 through 22. Since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, you may be seated. Thank you, Aaron and Alice and Mercy. Can't wait till Mercy actually can come up and read with you. It might be a year or two. We'll see. <laughs> I'm so glad to be back with you today after being away for two weeks. It's just really wonderful uh, to come back home. I'm so thankful that I can watch the services, you know, through streaming. And uh, Pastor Jeff and Pastor Tim last week just brought such powerful messages from Romans 5 but I'm glad to be back with you myself. Uh, I'm also so thankful because I have several friends here that I've got to let you know about. Uh, sitting right down on the front row with me is uh, Manfred Siebold. Um, when I first went to Germany in 1974, did you know I went as a singer? Anyway, I did. And uh, I, I wasn't feeling at home. I had just finished college and I was, was trying to learn a language and so many things. And I was singing uh, down at, in a city called Berblingen at, at the Singhalle. The main singer was Manfred Siebald. And this one who was so beloved and so well-known welcomed me and sat with me and really made me feel at home. I've never forgotten it, Manfred. And I've been so thankful for this friendship 
we must have been a lot younger back then. So we also have uh, Manfred Steiger, who is here. Uh, Manfred has been here doing his 22nd or 23rd recording. Um, he's written over 400 songs. Manfred has been here to produce that. He has a leading position as the director of music of one of the major uh, national radio broadcasts out of Hessische Rundfunk, uh, right? And then uh, Manfred's wife, Christina, is here. And I don't know who these other two German-speaking folks next to them, Lily and Roger Boss, who are there. So you German speakers, come up and have a good time after the service. Roland, you'll have to get over here for sure. Well, today, I'm, I don't know if you noticed that as Aaron and Alice were uh, reading for us, we come to a passage of the Bible that almost everybody says is one of the most difficult to understand in the entire New Testament. And when we understand it, for some people, it's one of the most difficult to accept. I was reading it and thinking, why didn't I just give this to a different pastor to preach about today? So, um, but here's what I thought of as I was preparing it and thinking, what would God have us to hear from his word? I thought about what Peter wrote a number of years after Paul wrote this text. You can read about it in 2 Peter chapter 3. And I put it up here for you to see it because I thought about it all week. He said, our dear brother Paul, who wrote Romans 5, writes the same way in all his letters, speaking them in them of matters related to salvation. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand. All week I've read that and I've thought, amen, so, so it is. So, so when you take out a difficult text like this, I think one of the best things for us to do is to see how it fits within the context. And here, our context is this series of messages that we're doing in Romans, from Romans 5 through 8 that I'm calling Made New. And really, just like Peter said, what, what Paul is writing about here is our rescue, our salvation. That's what Romans 1 through 8 is all about. And, and the first four chapters, he keeps telling us that all human beings need to be rescued. We have all fallen short of what God made us to be. We've all walked away from God, regardless of whether you are Jew or Gentile, whether you are young or old. None of that matters. None is righteous. And so it seems so hopeless. But God loves us anyway. And that's chapter 3. But now a way to be made right with God, what, what Paul calls justified, to be right with God, has been made known from God. It's his work, not ours. And it's done through Jesus. It's the hallelujah part of the Bible, right? So you, we see what God has done for us. But, but when you get to Romans 5 through 8, you see that this salvation that he gives is not just something that he forgives us of our past and leaves us in our sin. No, no, no. He wants to actually remake us to be the kind of persons he created us to be in the first place. And that's what these four chapters are all about, about how God does that. And I've called uh, this, this series of messages Made New. Made New. And even that title brings problems to some people here in, in, in our country because we, we often wonder, why do I have to have somebody else make me new? If there's some things wrong, why can't I just do it myself? So, preacher, just tell me what to do, and I'll do it myself. Uh, you know what the Bible would say about that? No, you won't. You can't. Not on your own. So, as we look at this, that's what I want to talk to you about, about why we don't have the ability to do it on our own, to become what even we want to be on our own. I know that isn't a very encouraging topic when you really think about it. But on the other side, I'm telling you that until you and I own the situation that we are in, 
our deep need of God actually to step in and do something we can't do ourselves, we will never experience the true good news that comes that when you genuinely place your faith in Jesus, God promises to do something in your life. And so as I've been thinking about this, the, the, um, the thought that I've had that we need to hear the most, and I, I put a, a sentence up here for you to see. The question that I've had for you as well as for me is, where are you stuck in your life today? Where are you stuck? For, for some people who come to church on a Sunday morning, it may be that you really don't know God yet. You don't have a personal knowledge of him so that you can know God working within you to change things. Do you know what you need? You need to begin. Jesus calls it to be born again, a new life to God that comes through faith in Jesus. It's where it all starts, that you give your past and failures to him, and he takes them, and he cleanses you, and he gets rid of them as far as east is from the west. He gives himself to you and begins a new work. So for some of you today, I pray that this would be the day that you believe. Uh, but, but for so many of us, and that, that would be, I would guess, even most of us here at the 11 o'clock service, we have given our lives to Jesus by faith a long time ago, and yet sometimes, even though we read passages like we see today, that God promises that he's going to change everything. He's going to make everything in your life and in mine the way they're supposed to be. Do you ever have this question, why is it taking so long? And, and don't you sometimes feel like there are parts of our lives where you and I get stuck? Places when you come back to church, it's the same old battle that you've had before, the same kinds of failures. Is there a chance that those things can be made new? And I want to tell you that there are. But to start with, we're going to see why it's so hard, why it is we have so many struggles with being all that God created us to be. And so that brings us to Romans chapter 5. And the first point I want to make is what I've called here. It's the title of my sermon, the second most important person in your life. So look, this is how he begins in Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. All right, you people who are English teachers, is that a complete sentence? All right, I want to keep this verse right up. Yes, so it's not, not quite. I want to keep the verse up here. I want to show you several things. I want to show you at first where, how it begins, and then I want to show you how it ends. It begins with that word, therefore. And if you've ever heard this little quip, when you read something in English and you read, uh, therefore, you should stop and find out what it's there. Therefore, yeah. So the, why is this therefore, therefore? And it's, it points back to chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, the very messages that, that Pastor Tim and Pastor Jeff brought to us. And it is this, when you become a follower of Jesus, when, you, when he comes into your life, then, then all these wonderful blessings are promised to you and me as, as his people. And one of them is this, what, what he calls a certain hope in verse 2, a certain hope that what God has started in us, he will bring to completion. And, and, the, and how is that going to be possible, that we're going to have that completed life, that our salvation, as, as, Peter, as uh, Tim talked about last week, the word that Paul uses when we are first made right with God is justified, but salvation is used for the term uh, that he completes what he started in us. 
And, and Paul says to us, this is why it's so certain. Because when you receive Jesus into your life, he actually comes into your life and he begins to, to, to change everything. And I know for some people that's uh, an unusual thought, but I love the way we often put it uh, to our children. We ask our children sometimes when we want them to become Christians, would you like to ask Jesus into your heart? Do, do you do that in German as well? Um, for children who are often so literal, that scares them to death to think about having somebody right, right inside. But it's a beautiful thought when you think about it. That God, that Jesus comes right into your life and things become, we have a new moral capability, a new way that we can begin to live that because he is there. And that's what Paul wants to say. Therefore, because now you become connected to Jesus, he comes into your life, your life can be different. And what is it like? It is just as, he says, just the way we used to be connected to the one who sinned so that sin came into all human beings and that all die. Which brings me now to the last part. If you can put this back up, that little last part of, of verse 12. Uh, death came to all people because all sinned. What's the very last thing that you see there? Uh, you, you see, a dash. You're much sharper than the nine o'clock people were. Uh, it's a dash, which means that this isn't a complete sentence. He gets to a point, and I'll tell you how I feel as, as a pastor and a preacher. He's talking to them about something that is so wonderful. He gets excited about it, as you know I so often do. He says, listen, when you give your life to Jesus, he cleanses your past. He comes into your life. He promises all these blessings. In fact, that your life is going to be made new. And it's just like if you wonder, how is it possible that one man and his death and resurrection can make so many people completely changed and new. It's just like one man who when he came and he sinned and brought sin and death into this world, it affects you too. And as he's there saying that, he looks around and I think he sees glazed faces in front of him. And I never see that at Lake Avenue Church. You're always really attentive and always right here with me. But he saw glazed faces and he said, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? He said, you know that we human beings are all fallen. You know that it goes back to our very first parents, that when Adam, he takes us all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, sin entered into this whole human race and has been passed down ever since. Sin, and, you know that, don't you? And, and so he he looked around and he said, I don't think you really know that. And so he takes time and really what we have, he stops his sentence right in the middle and we have this parenthesis between verses 13 and the middle of verse 18 in which he stops to think about the mess that we're in and the reason why we need a rescuer to make us new. Now when he talks about it, he talks about the fact of how we are so connected to one another that what our ancestors have done actually have an impact upon our lives. Now, when you talk about that in, in the Western world, many of us can't grasp that at all. We are such individualists that it's hard for us to imagine, why on earth should I have a representative that what he did still affects me like, like Adam? That, that, that bothers us. Uh, but, but if I were preaching somewhere else today, if I were preaching in uh, Nairobi, Kenya, 
or Bangkok, Thailand, or down in the South Park, Kerala state in India, I, I, you would understand exactly what I'm talking about. Because you know that what has gone on before us continues to affect all of us, that we're like one big human family and there is a problem in this human race that you and I are a part of. But when we hear it, we have all these questions. So I thought, how do I explain this to you? And I've chosen to let a friend of mine, he was a student when I was the president at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, Dr. David Kasali. Uh, he grew up in Congo, he um, uh, served in Kenya, and he wrote this in the Africa Bible Commentary. I'll put a part of it up here for you. Westerners, well, for, do you know who Westerners are? You know, that's... Uh, that's Manfred, that's, that's what it is. Germany, that's what. So Europe and North American Westerners, he says, so this is what he says, may wonder how the sin of one individual could bring such devastation to so many, while the death of another could bring such blessing to so many. So Paul uses the examples of Adam and Christ to illustrate this principle of corporate solidarity in which the actions of one person affect the lives of all their relatives. He goes on to say, an African from a community-based society in which one is because others are. Don't you like that phrase? One is because others are. Can easily follow Paul. For, for we share the belief of Paul's Jewish community that the actions of one person affect all the others. Do you share that? Are you with me so far? Now, what I saw when I started studying Romans for the message today is Paul didn't need to explain this to his people. He just said this. When one man sinned, really all of us sin. But here, preaching in Pasadena, uh, I find that here in the United States, whenever we say things like this, we often have to have long commentaries to try to, to explain all of this matter. Now, I think even we, as Westerners, can, can grasp this. You know that our parents have passed on things to us, right? I mean, as we look at that, thing, some of them are just genetic. Uh, the color of my eyes, um, the color of my skin, our height. I mean, we always know that those things are passed on. But you know, those aren't the only things passed on. So many people, when they see my, my son, Brandon, or my daughter, Heather, they, they see their facial mannerisms or some of their gestures, and they say, oh, that's just like your father or just like your mom. Sometimes I see some of my behaviors and my personality traits passed on to my children, and I'm telling you, I don't know any of you who are parents here, it, when you see some of your weaknesses passed on, isn't it terrifying at times? Don't do that. Sometimes that's when our biggest rules come out. You begin to understand what Paul is saying here so that reason says to me that it makes sense that this has been happening for generation after generation after generation, going all the way back to the earliest human beings. Now, I know this matter that Paul just brings up, that what Adam did affects every one of us, brings up all sorts of theological problems. I mean, one of the biggest ones that's been wrestled with and has divided Christians for centuries has been, does that, are you saying, Pastor, that, that little children, when they're born, are, are born guilty? And, and many 
Christians have believed that, yes, that's, that's what it teaches. That, that's been the long, ongoing doctrine of the uh, Catholic Church. If any of you have grown up in the Catholic Church, you know that. That has been the, the teaching of any church that's sort of been built from the Reformation, from John Calvin and on. Uh, and that's a part of what, why there is infant baptism in so many churches, because you've got to get rid of that original guilt that, that comes through original sin. Now, many other Christians have said, no, no, no. It's not guilt that's imputed or, or passed on. It's, it's just corruption. That's what John Wesley said. We are born corrupted. We're, we're not what we should be. So that the very first time that a little child has a moral decision to make, we, we just go and say no. And we're so tied together in this that Paul simply can say, all sinned. Now, I thought by this time I would have some glazed faces, and, and I think we'd... So I decided to pull upon a, a couple of my favorite theologians, uh, Calvin and Hobbes, <laughs> in one of Bill Watterson's comic strips, the young boy Calvin. Do you know Calvin and Hobbes? I, I hope you haven't missed reading some of those great comics. Uh, the young boy Calvin had been doing wrong, and he was blaming it on his parents you know, because of the way I was born. So he turns to Hobbes, who's this stuffed animal who comes to life, and, and he says this, do you think that babies are born sinful? That they come into the world as sinners? And Hobbes replies, no, I think they're just quick studies. <laughs> well, I'll just tell you, I'm not going to, in the moments I have with you, try to go through all these thorny debates about that. I want to make the main point that I see the Bible making because I think it's what we need to hear. The main point is the Bible wants you to grasp that you can't rescue yourself. That where there are things, you come to church and you, you didn't come to church wanting to become a more miserable person than you were before, right? You come to church and you pray that things will be different when you leave than when you come. Why can't we get there on our own? And, and Paul wants us to know because one of the biggest reasons is we have been born into a sinful race, into this human race. It is like a bondage that is there that needs to be broken, a stronghold that needs to be broken. And if that's hard for you to, to come to grips with, I'll tell you, all of human experience throughout history and throughout the world now confirms that it's true. I've, I've seen it everywhere I've gone. I've seen sin everywhere I've gone. Uh, I've seen it uh, in prisons, yes, and you would expect that. But I'm telling you, I've seen it in universities too. Anybody agree with me there? I've seen it among the poor, as so many people talk about that, but I'll tell you, I've seen it among the rich, too. Sometimes when you get to be in the older generation, we look at the younger generation and we kind of fold our arms and say, all these things are wrong and bad about this younger generation, and we see things that are wrong, but let me tell you this, they see things that are wrong in our generation, too. Great, great, great grandparents, you'll see some things that are wrong in your great, great, great grandchildren, but they'll see them in you as well and in all of those who come before you and all of those who will come behind. That is the plight of us being human. When Adam sinned, sin entered the human race and death with it. That's why for some here today, I, I said, uh, Adam, I'm praying, is the second most important person, man in your life. <laughs> but for some, he's still the most important. And there is a bond that needs to be broken so that you can be set free and you can become made new 
by the one who will do it. And that's going to be next week's message. The promise is there. It happens in Christ. But before we get there next week, there's one more thing I've got to say. We've talked about the influence of Adam in our lives, but I want to say this as well this, this morning. It's not all Adam's fault. Are we all just victims? It's not all Adam's fault. So he did say, when Adam sinned, all sinned, chapter 5, verse 12. But throughout the book of Romans, throughout the entire New Testament, all have sinned, all continue to fall short of the glory of God. So even though Adam's sin has this ongoing negative effect upon each one of us, we are born into sin, I'll tell you, it doesn't mean that you and I can blame all of our shortcomings on our parents and grandparents and going all the way back to the very beginning because the Bible lets us know, you and I, we are made in the image of God so that when a choice comes to you and me, it is a real choice that you and I make and when we choose to do what is wrong, we are responsible for that choice that we make. And that's a point that he makes here as well. In fact, again, if you remember back to what Aaron and Alice read for us, you have this section in which he says, yes, when Adam was here, he had a law, and then he broke it, and then we didn't have any law until Moses came, that was many centuries later, and brought the Ten Commandments and all the law based upon it. And so pretty much the argument, he was talking to his Jewish people, it's something that may feel foreign to us, but I think I can make it see that it, it isn't foreign to us. The argument that the Jewish rabbis talked about was this. After Adam had sinned, and they didn't have God's law, the Ten Commandments, in their hands, people continued to sin. Of course they did, because they didn't know what was really right. And death came to them there. But the feeling was, among the Jewish people, now that we have God's law, we know how to live, and it's so beautiful, it's so compelling, we'll keep it. And the responsibility is for our parents and our rabbis and our preachers to teach us what is there. And if they just do it well enough, we'll keep that law. They loved the commands of God. Do you know, there's, there are whole psalms about this. The longest psalm in the entire Bible is one whole psalm talking about how beautiful the law and the commands of God are. And they really had this view, and, and the rabbis discussed it and debated about it, that if only we would do what Deuteronomy 6 says we're supposed to do. That is, parents are going to put God's ways on the doorposts of their house. We're going to sing songs that remind and get it into our minds. We are going to speak about it in our homes. And then when you go into worship, if your pastor is a good teacher and interesting at all, you're going to hear the ways of God. And when you hear it, you're going to do it. So all you have to do, they pretty much were saying to Paul what they heard. Paul, why all this stuff about us having to be connected to Jesus in order for our lives to change? Just tell us what God would have us to do and we'll do it. And he says, no, you won't. And the point that he makes here when you read this through, and it will come up again in the next couple of chapters, is simply having the laws in front of you, that doesn't give you the power to do it. In fact, there are times that we know that we're doing, our conscience lets us know we're doing some things that are wrong, and then we do it anyway. But then when we see, really, it's, the Bible tells you not to, it, it, it makes, when we know what it tells us to do or not to do, it makes transgression uh, even more serious. That's what he says. When we had the law, the transgression becomes weightier, verse 20. Are, are you with me here? 
Let me use an illustration from my own childhood. I think I'll bring it home. I grew up in Bluefield, West Virginia. I went to Fairview Junior High School. So I went online to try to picture, find a picture of Fairview. I found the one that they said is, it isn't, I don't think, but I'm gonna pretend it is. You don't know better, if, I shouldn't have even told you. So we're gonna pretend it's Fairview Junior High School where your pastor went to junior high school. Now to get there, I mean West Virginia, I mean Bluefield goes up to 4,000 feet elevation. To get there to Fairview Junior High School, you had to ride a bicycle up that hill and it was hard so every day we did it now you could if you did it the way you're supposed to do it drive uh, ride this bicycle on the um, on the streets and then go up but there was one beautiful lawn uh, in between that it was faster and easier to get there if you rode through the lawn and and some of those other kids did it I'm just <laughs> Uh, you know me too well. So some of us rode through that. We, it would leave marks in the lawn. It wasn't as beautiful as there. We knew it was wrong, but we did it anyway. But one day, the owner of the house put a sign up, do not ride bikes on the lawn. And of course, just having the sign there, we'd never do it, right? No, we just rode across it to see if that's what really the sign said. We had to take... Just having the law in front of you doesn't strengthen your ability to do it. In fact, sometimes it, it makes you want to do it more. It's the way we fallen human beings uh, are. We, we do it anyway. Um, and so we blame others, saying, if you'd taught me better, if you'd taught me God's word, pastor, if you'd preach the Bible in a way that I'd stay awake, I'd actually do it. And I say, no, 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 you need to hear what's in God's word but you need something to happen from inside out to keep it. Uh, again, Calvin and Hobbes, it'll, it'll help us here with this. Calvin had failed a test. He blames his teacher, and he says, this bad grade you gave me is lowering my self-esteem. <laughs> and the teacher says, then you should work harder so that you don't get bad grades. Calvin pauses. Then he says, your denial of my victimhood is lowering my self-esteem. <laughs> you see, that's the way we are. I was almost afraid to, to preach the first point of this message because we are so prone to going in the direction of blaming others. It's my parents' fault. It, it's, it's, it's my teacher's fault. It's my society's fault. And God says, no, you are made in my image. You are responsible. So we are both sinful and sinners. I know we don't talk, like to talk about that in Southern California, but that's the way it is. So what do we need? What do we need? Well, we need to know what God says is right. And here we have his word. We need forgiveness of where we've fallen short in the past. Amen? And that's what Jesus did for us. He lived the life that we should live, but none of us has. He was willing to die the death that we deserve, but we don't have to because he did it for us in our place. We need that. But I'm telling you, don't, we need a new power. We need a new first man in our life <laughs> who transforms things. So here's what I've written down for you. Take a look at it. Think about it. Uh, our human problem is not simply that we are corrupted that's a fact of human existence. It is also that you and I personally choose to do wrong. 
We repeatedly need forgiveness. Can I have a witness here? <laughs> we repeatedly need forgiveness. Then we need someone who walks with us, one who can liberate us both from the bonds of the past that enslave us and from our ongoing failures. That's what begins when we receive Jesus. I'll talk about that next week. Stop there. But I want us to come to grips with what he talked about here. Now, I'll tell you, I've read this. I feel like Paul wrote this to church people that he really loved. Do you get that idea? He wanted them to understand what was wrong. He wanted them to be set free. But, and he also knew that unless they understood and accepted their human condition, that there was no hope that they would ever say, I need a savior. Do you see what I'm getting at? That they needed to acknowledge where the strongholds are so that they could receive the good news that you can be set free from that. He knew they had a dire need of a savior. He did and they did as well. Someone who would set them free from that bondage that had been there ever since Adam, from the patterns they had in their own lives. And I think he, he stopped in that parenthesis to say, I can't go any farther until we stop together and come to God and say, these are some of the places where we know we need your liberating power. So, so today, the word that has come to my mind as I've been reading this and thinking about us is the word strongholds. Strongholds. I think that because we live in a world that, that has had compounded evil and wrong for generation after generation after generation, and then we get into those patterns ourselves, strongholds are established in our lives that need to be broken, and, and that the power of God is great enough to break them. But, but I want us to take some time even now to acknowledge where they may be. Uh, you may look at your own family. And you may see things like, and I've talked with so many of you about this, abuse that was there in your family. And you hate it. But you're starting to see some of those same tendencies coming up in yourself, wondering how that can be changed. It's a stronghold. You, you may see in your, in, in your family a, a history of moral failure. And even though you know what ripped your family apart, you're finding yourself just so drawn to that as well. It is a stronghold that needs to be broken. There are so many others of anger or of anxiety. I've thought about uh, the nation that God has put us in. We live in a place where we love the fact that we have free enterprise and capitalism. We can build businesses and engage in so much freedom. But that has brought some patterns that need to be broken. I mean, the racial problems that we've had going all the way back to slavery, have they been passed on in a way that now we have a, a real great difficulty of really seeing people across some of the divides the way that the Bible tells us we're supposed to as, as children of, of God? Paul had that problem, you know. He needed the stronghold of his hatred of Gentiles to be broken. He wrote about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, he said, uh, now that I know Jesus had to die for me or I had no hope, I'm humbled 
now that I know he was willing to die for all. He said, I can't look at any human being the way I used to from a worldly perspective. I, I've got to see every human being as one who can become a new creation in Christ. And sometimes that's hard for us. It might be a stronghold in our world where I just hear all of the friction across those, those political and ideological divides. I think, Lord, is that a stronghold that in your church needs to be broken so that we can show people a different way? You know I'm praying for that. I think also with our privilege of being able to, to build businesses and, and so forth, that that brings with it a temptation toward greed and toward materialism and living in such a way that we come to church so that we just simply will pray that God would give us more stuff and that stuff becomes our God instead of, of, of God so that if he gives those things to us, we say thank you, but if he takes them away and we still have Jesus, we have everything, do you believe that? I'm telling you, it's hard for us to believe that here in Southern California. Might be a stronghold that needs to be broken. Here's what I'd like you to do. I'm going to ask Dwayne to come, and if you'd take out, if you can, I know in the balcony you don't have them, but if you can, pull out the kneelers in front of you, and uh, let's take just a moment or two as Dwayne plays for us to ask God through his spirit, through his word, to open up your eyes to where some of those strongholds might be there in your own life. And then what I want you to do is say, Lord, I know you're greater than these things, but I need to take time to name them. Lord, here it is. I, I see myself trapped, stuck in this thing that feels like a bondage, a stronghold. Lord, here it is. I need you right now. Take a few moments. Let the Spirit of God work in your mind and in your heart. Bring, bring that matter to your Heavenly Father. Our holy God, you know everything about us unholy people, your people. Our loving Father, I don't understand it, but you love us anyway. You loved us before we could ever love you. While we were sinners, you sent Jesus to die for us. Thank you, Lord. So here we are on our knees before you, our Father, confessing to you these places where we feel stuck, where we feel bondages. Father, as we confess our sins, help us to hear that it really is true, that you forgive us our sins and you cleanse us from all that is not right. Thank you, Lord. 
And here we know that the very passage that we as a church are looking at tells us that you promised to set us free. How much, Father, we long to leave church being more of what you made us to be than when we came in. Thank you that you're willing to start with us again. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.